my <laughs> wife's dessert catering strategy didn't know that she was great at it, which I would argue she was. It was because we bought a good domain. Yeah. Um, if she was bad, she didn't deserve to be first and she didn't yeah. deserve to get all that celebrity clientele. So maybe you were first because you were first. Mm. And now that advantage is going away. So now you have to be great. Mm. Made, made the best marketer win. Hey there, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. Each week, the Enrollify podcast equips you with insights into how the latest trends in marketing and technology are affecting today's enrollment marketers. Every episode is designed to inspire new creative ideas for how to optimize the resources you do have to generate the results that you need. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Welcome to the show. All right, Eric. We are live, my friend. I can't believe this is actually happening. Like we're we're finally sitting we're doing down. It. We are real people. We are real people, <laughs> not avatars on LinkedIn, just nicely messaging each other for years. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and we've we've had several like attempts at at making this conversation happen. And for lots of reasons, it just it just didn't happen. But only things like you having children, ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. Unexcusable. Yeah. yeah my son. Dang. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Congrats, uh, he's, by he's, the way. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, he's interrupted a lot of things in life. Um, but <laughs> but um, that said, we have, we have a lot to talk about today, and uh, it's not you know it's not every day that I get to talk to somebody who's been in marketing in a variety of contexts. You've you know worked on the B two B side of things. You've worked in higher education. You've worked in in K through twelve marketing. You you sort of run the gamut of 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 people that that at least like I'd want to talk to that have experience in. A, a, a whole array of like enrollment marketing contexts. And so I have so many questions for you. I, I want to pick your brain on on a lot of different things. But first, I just want to hear a little bit about your your current role. So you're Senior Vice President of Marketing at, at Fusion Academy. Just for the, for the listeners sake, what what is Fusion Academy? At Fusion Academy, we're building the world's most personalized schools. Um, so the major feature of our middle and high schools, we have 80 of them across the country, is that they feature one-to-one classes, one teacher and one student per classroom. So wow. that the teacher can match a student's pace and preferences really precisely. Student learns better, dives deeper, doesn't get left behind like they might in a traditional classroom. It's a really, really incredible model. Um, our student achievement scores grew 33% more than their peers nationally this past year. And to me, most impressively, it was all in only about 20% of the total instructional time hmm. uh, because of how efficient and effective one-to-one time can be. It is the most effective way to learn. It hasn't changed since Plato and Socrates. We've tried to scale it and do 20 and 30 to one. Uh, and there are economic reasons of doing so, but you can't do better than one-to-one. So I'm really excited to be at Fusion and help build this brand. Wow. I mean, what a what a huge project, right? Like, I mean, that that's massive. And, and for that to work, I, I can't even like think about how that how that scales. But clearly you guys are are trying to figure that out right now. I think the need is there. It is it is a really challenging marketing problem from a category creation standpoint. No yeah. one is searching for one-to-one education, but a bunch of people are dissatisfied with their students' experience at a traditional school. And yeah. so finding the Venn diagram of those two realities is our is our growth challenge right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about lots of things. Um, but let's let's actually start a little bit about uh, your 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 work in higher education. So you worked in higher education marketing for for a number of years. And I'd love to hear from from your perspective at, at the at the start of your of your journey 
in higher ed versus uh, when you left. How did you see? How did you see the industry evolve or change? Like, were are there one or two very specific uh, observations you've made for for how we've grown as as a sector with respect to our our understanding of marketing? And if so, what are those observations? Yeah, my gut answer was a, was a a negative one of like it didn't change. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it didn't change in the fifteen years I was there. And then I'll end with something much more about what I'm bullish on. But I joined higher education from the ad agency world back in 2009, 2010. Um, and why I joined um, a a local college to run their comms uh, was Coursera had just come out, edX had just come out. Uh, Harvard X uh, had just come out and I'm like, it's happening. We're mm. democratizing education. The <laughs> highest quality education in the world is about to be free and it's going to change everything. Mm. And 15 years later, I feel like we're about as close as we were back then. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One is I overestimated the belief that a free library card makes everyone smart. <laughs> Student motivation is still a tremendous mm. hurdle. It's probably education's biggest challenge is, mm. is motivation and figuring out pedagogy and the pedagogy of motivation and mission and, and helping students understand what life looks like and what it can be like and lifestyle design, et cetera. So I think I was discouraged by how slowly higher ed moved. I think a lot of us marketers um, see trends of inevitability and assume those changes are going to happen immediately. <laughs> and yeah. so I was disappointed by how slowly that change happened. On the very optimistic side, my time in higher education was just full of meeting missional people, dedicating their life to change the world in beautiful, very niche ways. Um, faculty diving into their specialty um, with, with endless rigor, people trying to figure out new pedagogy, how to embrace online and student retention through technology. And I was constantly shocked. At, I, I think marketing is a little behind the curve in terms mm. of, of of education but the the brightest there are some of the brightest minds in the world in education specifically mm. and i think i kind of conflated those i think there are people at colleges doing incredible incredible things marketing college is not the sexiest job for most marketers and they go yeah. to bigger brands or they go to tech for um uh the higher salaries and so i think i conflated um what might have been a a laggard marketing playbook that higher ed had um, with the reality that that higher ed is a tremendous product and there are hundreds of colleges doing tremendously innovative things that I think people often uh, overlook. Yeah, yeah. I, I've said this on this pod several times, but even just looking at content marketing, for for instance, right? Like one of the most incredible things about working in a content marketing capacity in higher ed is like, you don't have to invent your stories. Like they're, they're there, right? Every other content marketer, if you're, if you're working for, you know, Coke or, or Facebook or Uber or whatever, like you have to create story, right? You, you have to fictionalize essentially someone's experience with your respective product in higher ed talk about authentic storytelling, like it's all there. It's literally in your backyard. And yet it still seems like it's so difficult to harness and elevate and and promote those stories at scale anyways, 
in a in a way that resonates, right? Like from from one perspective, right? Like higher ed should have the best content marketing of literally any other industry because of just how authentic the story actually is of their students and and the great you know faculty members that are doing research at these respective institutions. You're hitting on something really interesting there, Zach. Um, I think it's a it's a tremendous flaw that a lot of higher ed marketers have when they think their content storytelling is to sell college versus mm. their college. Mm. Um, one of my biggest takeaways um, from uh, Seth O'Dell, the founder at Canahoma Marketing, was don't sell the industry, sell your institution. Mm. Um, I think a lot of college marketers are playing the content marketing game spending a lot of their time, spending a lot of their institution's money trying to sell college. They think their brand is college. There are already a huge pool of people who think they want to go to college. There's They have an expectation that they're going to go to college. The industry is already sold in their minds. Your institution isn't. Hmm. Sell your institution with your content marketing. Don't waste your precious, limited, and deprecating marketing dollars selling what they've already been sold. Sell your institution story, not the industry itself. Which is kind of, right, uh, if, if you want to get all nerdy about content marketing, which is, it's kind of contradictory to what, you know, the the ethos of of content marketing, at least in its like original state was, which is this idea of, Hey, you sell the industry, you sell the problem, right? Before you sell, you sell the solution, right? Like, like I think about the days of, 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 you know, HubSpot pioneering like inbound marketing, right? As this, as this framework for thinking about the next generation of customers and how they would discover new products and services and ultimately buy those products and services. And, and, and a core tenant, right? Of that entire premise is that first you have to help people understand that they have some problem, right? Well before you introduce yourself as the solution to that problem. So so what you're saying is like really insightful here because it's like maybe in this particular context, we have to rethink content marketing slightly because if what you're saying is true, which I believe, you know, in, in, in large it is, you don't actually have to introduce people to a problem per se because they're already bought into the need to you know, buy something in this respective space? It depends where you work. Um, I told you and explained Fusion Academy to you, which you had not heard of. And I talked about one-to-one education and I talked about personalized education. Yeah. And those are not terms that people are familiar with. And those are not terms that people are searching for. Yeah. What they're searching for is private school, best private school near me, best yeah. private online school. So I need to take those folks, that intent, and then convince them of a category that they did not know existed before mm. they typed in that search query. Yeah. Whereas when we're talking about higher education content marketing, you're right. The the We're all bidding on the same keywords. We're all buying the same college board lists. Yeah. We're all talking to a same group of people that are selling the same thing. And so your content marketing story has to be very, very specific to the very unique value proposition that your school can offer. But again, that playbook that works for a college that's in a competitive set of you know thousands is different than a private middle and high school player that's kind of in this category of one right now. Yeah, yeah, super, super interesting stuff, man. Uh, we could riff specifically on on content marketing all day, um, but you, you, you actually here's my riff. It's way harder than it used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. Say it louder for the people in the back. Um, yeah. Remember the days of like listicles where you could just put together like a top ten reasons to you know think about X or Y or Z, right? And now like you read that stuff. Like I read stuff that I. I published like six, seven, you know, years ago. And it's so cringy, right? It's like 
oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that this would like work. And yet like the traffic on those pages, like some of them actually, some of those articles actually still rank incredibly well just because they've been live for so long. And it, it's uh, it's just so incredible to see how quickly content has become, uh, I should say approaches to content have become cringy, which five, six years ago were like totally acceptable and actually embraced. It's a really important lesson there. And and my wife and I talked about the other day, she's a um, at-home physical therapist here in San Diego. Oh, wow. Um, but when we lived in Chicago, um, she had a uh, dessert table design company. So she would design sweet tables for weddings and special events. Um, and we talked about how we were only there for a short time. And so it was, uh, it was a short chapter, but a pretty successful one. And, you know, it was more than a decade ago. And we were trying to say, like, how did you get all those, like, weird celebrity clients? <laughs> and it was, you bought a domain name called SweetTableChicago.com. And that was it. Like, that was all <laughs> you had to do. You won the SEO game. You didn't yeah. need an SEM game. Yeah. That was the entire marketing strategy was buying the right domain. And, like... You can get lucky in spaces where that kind of works, but I think it's very hard to get lucky with that approach today. Yeah. Um, and so it's another great lesson too, as I've um, worked in a lot of different kinds of educational environments. Um, I think I thought I was building a marketing playbook that I could just take with me yeah. and I could use it everywhere. So little of it <laughs> translates to the next place. Um, podcasts are something that I love doing. Podcasts were a critical part of revenue generation for us when I um, was at a higher ed ad agency. And so I desperately want to figure out how I can make it work at Fusion Academy. I don't think it works. Mm. I can't, I haven't figured out that game at least for yeah. a high intent audience and to make a successful show. But rather than going, but that's what I do. My playbook is podcasts. Yeah. It is, you got to figure out what this playbook looks like at this space with this yeah. audience, with this intent, as well as where does attention arbitrage exist today mm. versus mm. where it was 10 years ago? Content marketing and SEO could be your whole game. It probably can't anymore. And yeah. with AI bots writing millions of garbage-ish vanilla articles <laughs> every day, it's going to get way, way, way harder. So we're all about to have to learn how to build an entirely new marketing playbook as we speak. So yeah. don't be so precious about yours. Uh, the beautiful. I mean, I just want to double click on everything that you just said. I want to get into you spent some time thinking about these like 12 marketing lessons that you've learned over the course of your your career in a variety of contexts. And I, I want to sort of unpack some of them, uh, if not, uh, you know, all 12 that because I think they're awesome. And it's cool to see the differences between what you learned working in higher ed versus working uh, uh, in a K through 12 context work versus working in sort of like the B2B space. Um, but but right before we do so last thing I want to say on on, you know, this whole point is this idea that I'm just like really intrigued by how Google's going to rank content in the future because uh, like I know like some some like AI purists if you if that's even like a term that I can use because it's still like so like premature I don't even know who identifies it as such but some some folks will tell you like search is just going away like SEO like won't matter at all like you know how Google ranks content is 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 basically going to just disappear as we all just transition to communicating with uh, AI agents for our respective needs. And, you know, I'm sure that there's a world in which that that ends up happening. I think that that's probably still a little further off than people think it it is. But what's not we, far we, off, we think the inevitable happens immediately. Yeah, we yeah, came yeah. back to that already. <laughs> but but exactly, exactly. Um, but but right there, there to your point about, you know, being able to 
plug in a few relatively like thoughtful prompts into ChatGPT and then getting a, a pretty like average, you know, article spit out in a matter of seconds that you can then tweak in a matter of minutes and then publish like that at scale. The, the, it, it's so easy, it, like in, in some respects to, to, to outrank other domains, assuming, right, assuming that Google doesn't dramatically change the way it thinks about content ranking as it sees more and more of these quote unquote, like vanilla pieces of content, you know, published. So all that, all that to say, I wonder how their quality score like weights will change as publishing content just becomes so much easier than it's ever been. And how will AI find good content if it's not utilizing top-ranking content in other search engines? So if it kills yeah. the search engines, then it kills the quality scores. Yeah. Mm. You, my, my quick side argument, Rand Fishkin just um, ah, yeah. published an amazing video about this recently in terms of a, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but here's how to create content in this interim period where we don't know what's going to happen. And it's 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 beautiful to look at. And it's pretty much like, you know, can you rank high for these terms anymore? Um, or do you want to create featured snippets in your content that AI is pulling? How do you rank highly for that? And it's kind of like, you're still doing the same thing. Yeah. You're still trying to create as original and helpful and practical content as possible. Um, it's it's worth checking out because he says it so much more eloquently than I do. Uh, I, I had this question or this conversation with a video technical friend recently, about 15 years ago. Um, the only people producing good video were people who were true technicians and knew mm. how to produce good video. And then tools made it easier to make bad video look like good video. Mm. And it became harder for people to tell the difference. And I remember at the time going like, this is nervousing to me because if it all looks good, yeah. how people know the difference. And I think we're getting to that world again with the new digital and design tools that are coming out of AI, which are, um, boy, it's going to be even harder to know what is good uh, when everything looks good and super mm. polished. But to me, the benefit, the the marketing optimist in me, which I think most of us are, uh, probably to a fault, is the creator who is a marvelously creative mind but wasn't a technician is now going to be able to create in the way they could only see in their mind, but mm. they couldn't translate. And so I still have hope that at the end of the day, all this empowerment does is help us create better and better and better things and the better wins over time. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I think I just have to hold out hope that that's where the end game lies. No, I mean, if, if you think too, just, you know, a little bit more practically, like once every, like, I think humans have this like in intrinsic desire for different, right? They're, they're, they're you know, we, we, we like to be similar to, right? And there are lots of benefits uh, if, from a societal perspective to look and act and, and and behave a certain way, right? Society rewards us when we do, when we sort of like fit in. But there's also this other like really interesting component to society, which like really like, you know, lauds like difference and, and unique, right? And, and so what, what I always get excited about and anytime someone's like, oh, well, all of our content is just going to like be the same and sound the same and no one's going to be able to tell the difference. 
you know, from my perspective, it's like, well, no, at some point, if it all does look and sound the same, people will crave something different. Like people are not dumb. People's, uh, you know, a, a, a desire for uh, unique and the novel and the creative is not going to change. So that's still going to be a part of what we expect out of content, right? And so if, if we're not getting that because AI has somehow like made everything and everyone sound the same, there's going to be something else that emerges that where different can be found, right? And, and like that is just going to happen because that is human nature. It's human desire. So anyways, I don't know. That, that That's that's my take too. Anytime people like spent, go on their soapboxes and talk about how AI and ChatGPT in particular is just going to help, you know, it's going to hurt their blog rankings. It's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe because like they're going to be able to produce more content faster. But at the end of the day, I think people are smart and people desire new and novel and we'll always, there will always be a market for that. And maybe you deserve to be outranked. It's, you yeah. know, <laughs> my wife's dessert catering strategy didn't know that she was great at it, which I would argue she was. It was because we bought a good domain. Yeah. Um, and so like, like if she was bad, she didn't deserve to be first and she didn't yeah. deserve to get all that celebrity clientele. So maybe you were first because you were first. Mm. And now that advantage is going away. So now you have to be great. Mm. Made, made the best marketer win. Oh, dude, I love it. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I, I want to get into some of these these lessons that you've learned. So uh, I don't know how you how exactly you want to work through this, Eric, but I was, again, reading through these right before we hopped on. And I, I mean, they're, they're all great. So since we, we've been talking about higher ed, why don't we stick in, in sort of like the higher ed lane and talk to us about a few of the lessons that you learned about marketing leadership during during your time in, in higher ed? Well, absolutely. We already covered some of them. Um, but one that that we're kind of hinting around here, especially when we're talking about boy, content marketing is really, really hard when we're all selling college. Boy, we better not all sell college. Yeah. I think one of my biggest lessons, specifically from higher ed, is that when you sell the same thing as everyone else, you have to do everything better than everyone else. Mm. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that all colleges sell the same thing. But from an outsider standpoint, it's arguably a very similar thing. Yeah. And if you're selling the same, you know, online MBA as 600 other colleges, how do you stand out? You have to be better at everything else. You need better yeah. creative. You need better storytelling. You need better speed to lead response time. Your funnels need to be better. You need less friction. You need more responsiveness. You have to operationalize excellence if you're trying to win in a very crowded space. I would even argue that you can use the same playbook as your competitors. Um, uh, you're selling the same thing as your competitors. You can use the same playbook. But if that's what you're starting with, yeah, you have to execute much, much, much better if you want to win. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And And that's why it's like one of the things I tell people all the time on this show is like, you know, find find like the one or two things that you are actually different uh, in and, and, you know, that's actually unique about your institution and spend 80% of your time talking about that. Like it's the classic like 80-20 rule. People are so scared because I think a lot of times there's this pressure of like needing to, you know, properly elevate every program and and every major or or, you know, every aspect of the institution. But the reality is if your primary goal as a marketer is to help drive enrollment, which more and more and more, that's becoming a a big goal of of marketing shops, uh, if not the goal of marketing shops at at institutions, then then really promoting sort of what 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 actually makes you unique and 
you know, in some respects, not apologizing for it is is what's going to win. It's what's going to drive leads. It's going to elevate all all boats, right? If you focus most of your time on talking about what it is that's actually distinct about your institution. Can I push back a little bit? Please. Because I think some people might hear that and go, cool, I've got to figure out something random to talk about. Mm. And I could find a unique story to tell about a college that no one cares about. And I'm so desperate to find blue ocean, white mm. space, mm. that I tell a story that is unique to me, um, that looks good, and that no one cares about or clicks on. Mm. And that's what you need to be careful about. So what is a unique story that folks care about, that's where you need to carve off. Or I would argue, I would even let people feel okay about maybe you're not telling a different story, but yeah. you're better at everything else. Your website is perfectly optimized, your media buying, your marketing mix models, your creative, your call center, everything is so good and operationalized so well. I don't care that you didn't win uh, an AMA creative award this year. Yeah. You're just yeah. good at your job and you can crush without having this really, really unique take on, on your space. Yeah, it's it's like so, some things that, you know, uh, marketers talk a lot about, like, uh, I think Rand Fishkin even has a, a pod or, or a blog post on this somewhere is like, optimizing for a particular category of excellence, like whether it's like operational excellency, whether it's marketing excellency, whether it's, you know, product excellency. And I know that there are another uh, a couple of other categories there. But but to your point, right, if you if you can't, if you don't have the most unique offerings, right, how do you then optimize for operational excellence and do that do communication do follow up literally better than your your immediate competitors. And that in and of itself, all of a sudden becomes the thing that makes you unique. It's such a good point. And, and, you know, uh, I, I hate giving Seth Odell more love than, than he deserves. Um, but <laughs> I think he had a great take on this um, when he was running uh, Southern New Hampshire University, which was every college in America was saying, achieve your dreams, realize your dreams, we care about you. Cool. I don't believe any of you, because yeah. you guys are all saying the same thing. So if yeah. we're saying the same thing, how can we show it in a believable way? Cool. We care about our students. I'm sure you do, yeah. but every college does. Really? Will they buy a bus, brand it out, drive it around the country, and hand deliver diplomas to students who can't make it to graduation to make sure they have that graduation experience? Yeah. That shows yeah. me that you really, really care about me. So I think Seth and other of the best higher ed markers have figured out how to show that story when the tell is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, another lesson or two that you learned specifically in sort of like the the higher ed arena? Let's talk more about story um, because this is one that I have to keep, this is me looking in the mirror and reminding myself of. Your story needs to have the bulletproofness built in already. Mm. It's been a really tough one for me to learn. Um, I love doing brand research, interviewing audiences, getting client stakeholders on board and kind of writing our elevator pitches in this little safe silo of brand design and figuring out the rhythm and the assonance and the rhyme and how to make it perfect. Um, and I think I often, too often come across that without understanding why people are reluctant to be listening to this story, mm. the baggage that they're bringing to my brand already. And I'm telling this great story about we care about you and we love you and we're really nice and we're really cool. <laughs> and they're saying, 
I, I don't trust that college is worth it anymore, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. they're coming to the conversation with that. And we need to understand the pushback that folks have when they're hearing our story so that we can address those challenges in real time. I mean, the the best marketing you'll ever read is, or when you're, the best sales pitch you'll ever sit through is right when you have a, your BS meter goes on, mm. the the salesperson says the thing that you're thinking in your head and they're addressing it. They're so aware of the messaging hierarchy and the sequential story that they're taking you down that they're ready with what your concerns are and they're addressing it straight up. So as a higher ed marketer, we are and should be aware that the value of higher ed is in question more than it used to be. Yeah. The value of a credential is um, in question more than it used to be. But data is our friend. Yeah. <laughs> data is on our side um, in the vast majority of our program outcomes. So in our story, we need to use data to tell program-specific outcome stories, the skills they'll learn, the market value of those skills, average first-year income, average five-year income, average 10-year income if you have it. College is still very, 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 very worth it for the vast majority of our degree programs. Um, but our stories are more about our brand color and rah-rah and we love you. Um, we're talking to a more skeptical audience now. So I think it is in our best interest to yeah. address the skepticism straight on. Yeah, no. And, and you know, I one of the things you were just saying there reminded me of this, this idea too, that like we're living in a world too where where students understand the whole like, you know, show, don't just tell, um, you know, m maybe more than we as marketers do. And I, I think I think a lot about the fact that some of the biggest arguments made against sort of the value of a degree in 2023, 2024, right, is this idea that like, well, hey, I can I, I'm a creator, I can create really good content, look at what I can do, look at how much money I'm already making off of my YouTube channel, right? And I'm 17 years old, or whatever, whatever it is, like, and you know, you could try to reason with a 17 year old that, okay, well, no, but then you should go and you should take that, you know, $50,000 that you just made from YouTube and invest it in going to school to essentially learn things that you're not that interested in that you don't you aren't sure are really going to help. And you're going to learn about business from 10 years ago, right? Uh, if if not 20 years ago, right? And so, and so I, I think like we're living in this world where students understand, prospective students, and, and really just, you know, this generation understands that it's not about what you say, it's about what what you do, right? And, and what you show. Uh, and, and to a, 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 you know, it used to be the case that having a specific uh, college or university on your resume, the telling, right, really, really helped you get in the door. Nowadays, I, I can tell you as somebody who's hired people, like lots of people, like, I don't really care what your resume says. I don't care where you went to school. I care about what you've actually done, right? And so we're living in this like world where your portfolio, you know, regardless of like what that means, not just in a creative context, but the things that you've done, the 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 content that you talk about on social, like the tone you use, like those are the things uh, that I that I you know, for instance, look for before anything else, right? And and I I know I'm not alone in that uh, as a as somebody who's hired people, right? So all, all all that to say is that if students are aware that the way that you get places today is by showing and not just telling. We as the people trying to recruit them <laughs> need to need to follow suit and do the same thing. For real, and and you know, I think we can just be real. We don't have to hide. I think like the student who comes in says like, "Well, I could become an electrician in fourteen months, 
and make more than, you know, I'm getting with this comms degree after four years. And they're like, yeah, do you want to be an electrician? Yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> yeah. if the answer is yes, like that might be a great do it. for you. Yeah. But also, cool, you're comparing um, 19-year-old earnings against 23-year-old earnings, first-year comm degree, and you might have gone 70 grand into debt for mine. And so like first year, that looks stupid. But yep. let's talk about five-year and let's talk about 10-year and let's understand career laddering. There's a, It's a harder story, but like yeah. we need to start telling this broader story about what college is um, and what it's not. Yeah, it would be amazing. And like maybe this data is we're just at a point where we could start telling these sorts of stories. It's almost like putting together a really cool like video visualization to help students understand, hey, this is Johnny, right? He he was a YouTuber and he's making $70,000 a year creating these videos, right, in 2020, right? And, and, and then stack Johnny up against Sally, who, you know, was making $30,000 a year after graduating with a comms degree or whatever it is, and like, and and show their progression, right, based off of real like data over the course of 10 years and like where where they end up, right? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that there's that that would be a campaign that people would love, like, you know, it'd go viral because people would have such strong opinions on it one way or the other. But that's the kind of insight that I think this next generation of students needs, right, so that they can just make a really well-informed decision on whether or not college is for them. One of y'all got to steal that. That's good, Zach. That is a good campaign. And, and, and we have a pretty good national data set of outcomes now. If you're in a in a Texas institution, your state data is freaking great, and you have that first five and ten year data for all your programs, someone should steal Zach's idea. That's a great campaign. Do it, do it. All right, Eric. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to sort of lessons learned in in kind of the K through twelve arena is you had this good lesson, uh, and it's really sort of like this observation that you've made about the competitive landscape in higher ed. Can you just flesh that out for us a little bit? Yeah, it, it was really this understanding early in my career that your real competitive set is way smaller than you think. Mm. We've talked about this a little bit already, but I think marketers lean too optimistic. <laughs> I think marketers assume the inevitability happens immediately. I think marketers assume that people are more rational than they actually are. So um, when I was running comms for a private college in Chicago um, and we were starting to get into online programs, I thought, okay, let's be straight rationalists here. From a positioning standpoint, we've got to figure out how to be cheaper than Western governors and we've got to figure out how to be better than Southern New Hampshire or else we can't exist. Mm. Why on earth would someone choose us if Western is cheaper and SNU is better? And I had a great VP of enrollment um, at that college. Um, and the moral of his story wasn't uh, this joke, but it reminds me of that joke about the two guys in the woods getting chased by a bear. And one of them sits down to put his shoes on. And the other friend says, are you crazy? You're never going to outrun a bear. And he says, no, I just have to outrun you. And it's a grim <laughs> joke. And it's a real reality you just have to be better than the college down the street. Mm. You just have to have a better reputation than the college in your backyard. That's who you're up against. That's who's going to kill you first. People in your backyard have not heard of Western Governors University. Mm. They should. And I think uh, every person considering online college should be aware of Western Governors and SNU. And they're huge. But... Uh, they are not mass market brands that everybody knows. And 
you know, I, I live down the street from a community college in California, and that's the one that's on my radar for my daughter now because it's the one down the street. And for, for right or wrong, that's just the reality that exists. So I think markers can be too thoughtful about mm. like, what is a bulletproof position that we can win? And it's like, cool, but like do that in a 25 mile radius of your campus, even if you're talking about online programs, because that's just the psychological reality of what you're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, so, so well said. And again, I just, I want to call everyone back to, to just listen to those, the last few minutes of that dialogue again and again and again, because it's such a, it's such a simple reinforcement, but an absolutely crucial one. And, And one that I know that we, we forget all the time. We think we're bigger and better and, 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 or bolder than, than we need to be half the time. Um, and you know, the reality is the resources that some, of these larger institutions have, especially if you're working at a smaller private college, you're just not going to be able to outspend or, or outcompete. And to your point, you know, Eric, in most contexts, like you don't actually have to. Um, well said. I want to transition to a, a couple lessons that you've learned uh, working in in kind of the K through 12 arena with respect to marketing. Like any any sort of things in particular stand out as different with respect to how you've worked and, and led marketing efforts in, in higher ed? And if so, what what are those couple of things? The biggest one I learned, and it's not that it's not valuable in higher ed, I just happened to learn it in my K-12 stints, is the reality that marketers undervalue partnerships. I mm. think for whatever reason, um, marketers think Um, maybe too much in terms of digital. And we think too much about the customer journey of winning people over one at a time. Um, They're seeing this display ad, they're typing in this search query, and we're thinking about this one-to-one game. Mm. But one-to-one is a very inefficient way to grow a business. Um, And the lesson I learned too late is that if someone already has your audience, you don't need to start from square one. So in the higher ed space, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think a lot of us in the higher ed space were like, how do I find people that are thinking about college? Mm. Might it be that someone who recently took the ACT or the SAT is a pretty good set of people (laughs) who are in the college consideration set? Yes. And so rather than try to let's create our own ACT prep program. Let's do some sort of free content play for ACT prep scores and we'll do lead gen. And then after they take the SACT, I'll try to convince them to come to my school. We could do that or we could just buy a list from College Board because they already own that space. And that's what I really learned in the K-12 space when I saw a lot of the K-12 places that I played at have so much more success with partnerships than traditional digital marketing. Um, When I ran marketing for a social emotional learning company uh, called Harmony, when you're thinking about it, it was uh, philanthropically funded. And the philanthropist's goal was to get this SEL curriculum in front of 10 million students. Hmm. Um, and so it's like, Jesus, we're gonna do that once one classroom at a time, one school at a time, one district at a time, one state at a time. Um, those are four different outreach sales and marketing options, trying to win over individual teachers, trying to win over schools, districts, states. Um, they are all progressively harder than the next, but mm. winning over the district isn't 2,500 times harder than winning over the individual teacher. Um, and so figuring out where is that lever line and how you should think about broader partnerships. Similarly, it, um, in, in that SEL space, it was who's already 
who already has these students at an audience that we can integrate into their curriculum? Mm. Oh, the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club of America, um, uh, is has active kid audiences uh, of the millions every day, um, and they've already gained that audience. And uh, what if we just tried to figure out a broader partnership to get our SEL in front of their entire curriculum? And that was the two largest partnerships that we had uh, at that organization. And we we just grew so much faster that way. Similarly. I was at a gifted math company and the challenge was how do I find kids that are bored out of their mind in, in school all day that want advanced or gifted math? Oh, there's already math contests all over the country. There's already math Olympiads that have Ooh. those lists that I can partner with and buy. And those were the greatest ROI on my ad spend. Just partnering. Mm. You don't have to create your own audience from scratch, you don't need to start from square one. If someone's already done it, just partner with them. So, so, so well said. And, you know, audience building, uh, as somebody who's who's done it a little bit, is incredibly difficult and yes, and, and very, very, very hard. Um, and 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 most 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 people won't have right the necessary context or resources or platform or or what have you to be able to do that at least at scale or as quickly as you need, you know, your enrollment to increase. Uh, and and I, I totally agree with you on partnerships just being under underutilized and under thought about, right? And, and, and specifically sort of like getting people in person and showing up at those meetings, showing up at those, you know, local events and finding ways to even even just going to local high schools and, and having an honest like uh, discourse on, hey, from a programming standpoint, like, what are you hearing about what you're students want out of college universities like how do we ensure that we have offerings that actually align with what you you people in our backyard are saying you know your your students are saying that they actually want to study and they actually want to learn and i know that that sounds so simple but i've been doing this poll where i've been asking you know folks who i i really respect in the space how often they do stuff marketers in in higher ed how often they do stuff like that and it's shocking how few actually make the time to go down to their respective local schools. And again, not talk about their school, but have an open dialogue about what people actually want to learn and then bring back to leadership and have a discussion on, hey, this is what people are saying. How, how is what we offer aligning or, or not aligning with, with what they're saying? I think you just helped me understand it. As you spoke out, I was realizing like, why why do marketers have an aversion to that? Well, they either think that's marketing research's function mm, yeah. or uh, that sounds like sales. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah. yeah, sell, sell, bro. <laughs> you're in sales too. You want to yeah. call it marketing because you're scared of people? Get over it. <laughs> uh, so well said. Um, well, We've got just a couple more minutes here, uh, Eric, but before we wrap in, and I actually wanted, I was looking through your other lessons that you've, uh, that you've noted here. We'll probably have to have you back on just because these are just so freaking good. But the, the one that, that jumps out, uh, to me is you, you have the statement, um, your job isn't doing marketing, it's getting marketing alignment. And I, I want to understand, I'd love for you to just unpack that for us. Like what, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, it means that I haven't learned it yet because I'm not amazing <laughs> at this. Um, but I find I, I, I have learned that marketers love the movie Moneyball. 
Mm. I think for a handful of reasons. Uh, and there's one particularly romantic scene in that movie where Brad Pitt is telling Jonah Hill, do you believe in this? Do you believe in this? Then who cares if we're all alone? You should care if you're alone. <laughs> it's great that you're excited about your strategy. You're smart. So it probably makes sense. But if the president isn't on board, if your CEO isn't on board, man, you are moving a boulder uphill. Yeah. You need to be better at marketing yourself. You need to be better at marketing your marketing strategy internally. And you have to be okay with the fact that other people are going to have different priorities, different preferences. Um, you know, I think there's often the joke that, you know, higher ed marketers have a lot when people say, why don't we do more billboards? Then you can you can tell a really compelling story about it's hard to measure outdoor in a very convincing way. I don't know how to build it into my marketing model in a in a really interesting way. And you can really die on the hill of I know that person on the board of trustees um, wants a billboard, but I want I, I'm fine with them hating me. Yeah. Uh, don't be. Put up yeah. a freaking billboard between that guy's home and his office so he <laughs> sees it every day. Who cares if it works? That's your marketing strategy. Your marketing strategy sometimes is making individual people happy. They're your audience <laughs> in that specific situation. Play your targeting game. Target to that audience of one. And you know, live to fight a better battle and a more important battle. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's just a, even the best marketers are maybe, maybe specifically the best marketers are so convinced that they're good. They don't sell themselves enough internally. Mm. Um, and you've got to start doing it. Oh, dude, you're, you're just full of gold, man. I, hey, I, man, I, I gotcha. It sucks that it's taken us this long to, to, to connect. <laughs> um, but Hey, Eric, if, if folks want to connect with you and just, and, and learn a little bit more about, the work that you're doing, but specifically if they just want to kind of follow along and, and get more of this marketing wisdom from you, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Like where, where are you most active online? Real to connect, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Eric Olson fusion Academy is the best way to find me. Wonderful. And we'll go ahead and have Eric's, uh, LinkedIn profile linked in the show notes below. So if you were inspired by this conversation, as I have been, go ahead and connect with Eric. And if you want to learn more about Fusion Academy, I'll also have a link to their website in the show notes below. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Eric, thanks so much for your time, man. Zach, thrilled to connect in person. Thanks for having me on. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Enrollify podcast. The Enrollify podcast is brought to you by Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher education marketers. Enrollify was built to empower enrollment marketers with the ideas, the strategies, and the tools that they need to optimize the resources that they do have to generate the results that they need. You can explore our other podcasts like Starter Stories and CRM Prov, or sign up for one of our newsletters, or even watch an episode of Frideas, our weekly video segment, at enrollify.org. And if you know anyone that you think that we should have on this show or any one of our other shows, please reach out to me directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. Again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. And I'd be happy to chat with you about getting you or someone you know on one of our shows.